0: Welcome to the Pit Stop Podcast. I am Jordan Tyler-Coltman. I am joined by Tyler Walzek. Tyler, you and I were supposed to have a date last weekend. Yes. So was Formula One. That didn't happen because of flooding in Italy. Uh, we, of course, want to send our best wishes out to everyone affected by that. Unfortunately for us, it meant we, were, uh, we, we had to wait an extra week to get back together after you and Braden very competently and effectively, I felt, uh, covered the Miami Grand Prix. Which felt now feels now like like years ago. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because we've we got a 23 race season, and yet losing one race feels like oh no, a, a missed yeah. opportunity. They'll probably still find a way to shove this back in in like September or something. But we have to talk about Monaco. So where do you want to start?
1: Let's start actually with Imola because yeah. the reason that it was so important that that race, like obviously, was canceled for much more important reasons. But the reason it's important to losing a race, even though we have so many of them, is that this was the week that Mercedes and McLaren were getting their big upgrade packages. And the reason they chose that week is because Imola is a perfect track to have the speeds necessary to find out what your handling is, what your setup's going to be, all of that. So going into Monaco, for me anyways, the most interesting story was obviously the side pods on Mercedes, a brand new car, completely different looking. But how is it going to handle... They they really don't even know too much about the speed that it's going to handle yet because it's a, kind of a slower race in Monaco. Um, so it, that was the, kind of the most important thing about Imola being canceled and why losing one race was a bigger deal than than it could have been.
0: Yeah, you're right. Obviously, and, and you and Braden both talked about it on the, the Miami one, looking ahead to Imola. It was always slated as the the big upgrade weekend. We expected big pieces to come in from a lot of teams, Ferrari included. I mean, I think there was even some new pieces that like Red Bull was putting on their floors and stuff. Like yeah. Everybody was planning for that to be one of those races. Of course, it didn't happen, so they still put their new pieces in, whereas yeah. usually, historically, you would very rarely see an upgrade package come to Monaco because it'd be a waste of data and all that, yeah. but at the point that we are right now in the season every bit of data matters so it was interesting to see the change and and it's hard to know what exactly the nice thing is and we will get to this much much later but the nice thing is barcelona's next and that is a perfect track for seeing what these cars actually have in them so this was kind of like a dry run make sure it all shook out everything fit together we got that so yeah yes the upgrades were nice there was a lot of attention to that the one funny thing we can get into the details of but we had a couple cars go out during free practice and during qualifying. And in Monaco, they literally have to be like sky lifted out with these yeah, tall cranes out. And of course, every one of these teams who is so, you know, deeply invested in the technology on their floors to get the ground effect and all of these kind of things now are completely exposed. Every photographer and their mother's out there snapping photographs as these cars are lifted away. I think I sent you a funny meme where it's like, imagine sitting on your toilet and in your nice hotel in Monaco, (laughs) you look out the window and there there goes the Red Bull or there goes Lewis Hamilton's car. Like it was, it's pretty surreal. And of course there's been talk for a few years. Oh, maybe Monaco's getting too old. Maybe we don't like these kind of races. Maybe it's too slow. Come on, man. Monaco, like it was this weekend, still delivers some fun drama.
1: Well, the qual so qualifying is the staple in Monaco. If you qualify high, mm-hmm. you finish high. Um, so and the qualifying we got this weekend specifically was extremely exciting. I still don't know how Max was able to find two hundredths of a second on the last sector of the, of this grant, like of his lap um, of this track. I, I, and I was, I saw him 200 seconds behind. And I was like, Oh wow. Alonzo's going to take this like easily. And he found it. I was in shock and I still don't know where he got it from.
0: I will make a, I will make a very like hot take. And I I don't do that too often on here, but I think that, probably is the best qualifying lap we've ever seen from max verstappen considering the track it's at considering the the variables and the level of difficulty to be able to just to put it all together as you say like he was down through both the first and the second sector and not like close they they yeah. they they always um released this um sort of animated version of the timeline of where the two cars are i don't know if you see this formula ones like instagram and stuff but it it animates and shows you who has the lead at which sections like in real time as if they were on top of each other and alonzo's ahead of him by like a full car length for most of the second sector and then out of absolute nowhere in two corners max just he just hooked it up and And all of a sudden he was like a rocket ship into that final two turns it was insane yeah
1: and they're so, they like, they all of them are tapping the wall pretty much with one yeah. of their back tires on these turns. Like, they're just driving them to the limit. Max and-
0: apparently hit the wall on his final lap. Like, he made contact and still somehow pulled that out, which is even more insane. Like, the, yeah. the just the, the margin for difficulty. And again, as you say, like, Saturday is where it's at for Monaco. You have yep. to be on it. And if you're not, it, it isn't working. What was also really fun at least from the perspective I think you and I both have, is not being Red Bull fans and not being necessarily Alonso fans straight up. It was fun to see during qualifying. There were a lot of different people that we wouldn't necessarily have expected to be able to get their cars to perform like that, jumping up to the top of the table. And they didn't stay there necessarily, but you were seeing as the track got in, and that's a tricky track because unlike any other racetrack in the Formula 1, even the street circuits, it is not shut down 24 seven during race weekends. It's open to local traffic after qualifying, before qualifying after Friday, and it's only shut down on Saturday morning and not used again till race time. But that means that in each of those in-between times, you have like regular road cars bringing dirt and grime and grit onto mm-hmm. those streets. So all of the rubbering in that those teams are doing is just getting slicked and slicked. And so over the course of those, what we would usually call warm up laps, like these cars are just trying to get the track into a performable condition. And the margin for error is so small that like, if you don't hook one up, you're just not going to get there.
1: Well, and that's, those are the most exciting qualifiers are the ones where you see the evolution of the track change within the 10 minutes of the or 18 minutes of Q1. You see the speeds get faster every time someone does a lap and it leads to much more exciting. Like if it's basically whoever is the last person to get in that last lap gets into the top. Top fifteen or top ten, depending on which qualifying we're in. It's that was also part of the reason why it was so very, very exciting. Is because you'd see like Ocon did the first lap, or Gasly get the the fastest lap, or then you'd have somebody. I think Albon at one point had the fastest lap, like just because the evolution of the track is so quick um, that you have to you have to always be out there racing. Yeah, and,
0: and, so and guys sick. like both, both the Ferraris and even Hamilton at one point are like looking at not making it out of Q1, just because of how quickly the track was improving. And they really had to get in there under the bell just to get a lap in and Hamilton barely made it through. He was barely made it now. He had a much better qualifying two and three, but that first qualifying just was not working for him. Um, but let's talk about who had the absolute worst possible outcome there for his qualifying. And it's the second year in a row that he's crashed. The difference being Last time he was on provisional pole when he crashed, took pole and won the race. And I'm talking about Perez, obviously. This time he's not able to even make it out of Q1 because he he literally just looked like he completely locked up, lost control of the car, came in way too fast to a corner. Like I've never seen- Way too fast. I've never seen a crash like that at this circuit where like a guy just completely misunderstood either where he was or miscalculated. And it's interesting because like Martin Brundle did a, a really interesting little- expose on Art and Senna during the pre-race uh, show for, for Sky on Sunday. And I don't know if you caught it, but he was just talking. He, they look back at, you know, obviously he's, he holds the eight record, the, the, the eight wins there, the record for the most wins at, at Monaco. And he's got these just unbelievable streaks. I think he won like five in a row at one point, right? But he showed all these highlights about how like Art and Senna was always right at the edge, but always sort of just like, it looked effortless. And he talked about how Art and would talk, after races and stuff, like how he was kind of like in a, in like a daze or like kind of like in a trance is how he kind of put it where it's like, you just go into the zone at that circuit and you just have to trust your instincts. And it Mm -hmm. looked like there, like Perez, just sort of like zoned out. Like he just lost track of where he was. I've never seen him make that kind of mistake, especially on a street circuit. He's usually so good. Now we saw last year that mistake, but that felt more like he was just pushing a little hard. This just looked like a brain fart. Like it was bizarre and it was a serious shunt.
1: Oh, yeah. They had to switch gearboxes, I think, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah. So it's it looked, it very much did look like he thought he was going to like turn four, but in actuality was going into turn seven or something like that. Yeah. Uh, it was very strange. And there was, remember last year this time, not actually last year this time, but towards the end of the season, we started talking about this race again because that yeah. Perez accident or whatever you want to call it um, in qualifying came under scrutiny by his teammates because Verstappen said he did it on purpose so that he could have the pole position because he knows that pole usually wins this race. And so like that came back and for him to do it again this year and have the exact opposite, like you start 20th now, and now you have to go through everybody on a track that is no wider than maybe a car and a half.
2: Yeah. Oh.
0: So let's jump to the race because qualifying set us up. We knew what we were going to be looking for. We knew where the matchups were going to be. What was exciting about it is obviously it was quite clear. Alonzo and Max had very similar pace and Alonzo being, you know, the wily old veteran is looking to get back on the top step of the podium. Uh, it felt like this might be an opportunity for him. All of the talk before the race, Oh, Red Bull won't have the right speed. Cause they're really built for the, you know, they, they like high speed corners. It's all about arrow. This isn't one of those tracks. They could be, they could struggle here. Max, I mean, he really was in control from start to finish, even with the wrong tire strategy, right? Because he obviously was on the mediums to start. Alonzo went with the hards, which gave him an opportunity to go longer. So it forced Max to have to fo- fight through those tires. And up until the point where it rains, and we'll just leave that for a second because that's mm. where the that's where the story changes. But for the first like three quarters of this race, it felt very pedestrian, like most Monaco's from the leader's perspective. And it was like, can he outweigh him? Will Alonzo's strategy pay off? And, you know, will he get sort of a lucky opportunity? Because it just felt like otherwise Max is just going to, he'll just drive home and at one point i believe he had a gap of like 38 seconds he's lapped he lapped his own teammate twice in this race which you have to think hurts even a little bit more for Perez, considering the fact that he's number two in the driver's championship and he's lapped twice by the championship leader which is insane yeah Um,
1: it's absolutely insane um i think he was in the pit five times Perez, yeah it was a mess (laughs) it was a messy race that's unbelievable and you had to think so during qualifying when he crashed, being 20th, my first instinct went, well, that's your best setup for driver of the day because you'd think any other race, Perez would go from 20th to 7th by 10 yes. laps.
0: Yeah, if it's not Monaco, you're right.
1: Exactly. So this was like, okay, well, I don't know if he's going to be able to do this because where we are. Um, Obviously, he couldn't do it, but it's it. everybody's kind of speculating that that just ends his chances of winning a championship this year. I think personally that that is way too early to say because you don't know when Max is going to like, get angry one day and and just take a corner too hot and spin out. You don't know. There's things that can happen, and there's things that do happen. Um, So to have Perez not finish one race is kind of – I think it's too early to say this puts an end to his championship hopes, but um, it certainly doesn't help them.
0: So there's a couple of things I wanted to touch on before we get to the rain. Cause that's where this race really got yeah. going it, for, you know, it, it, my, my wife walked in one uh, at one point, I think we were at like, like, like 20 or something. She's like, Oh, how's the race? And I'm like, "Yeah, we're still in the foreplay. We know something's going to happen. Yeah. we just, we're still in all of this preamble, all of this prologue. We know maybe it'll be rain. Maybe it'll just be somebody crashing. Usually there's like up until the rain. And in fact, I'm not even sure after the rain, we didn't have a red flag we we had a couple yellow flags but not like not like we've used to see at monaco where like there's usually some race ending collision or crash Mm -hmm. we had two DNFs. both of them made it back to the pits on their own and just had to retire the cars to be honest a pretty uneventful monaco up until that point but there were some interesting storylines so let's talk a little bit about the the ferrari battle and then how it kind of got mixed up with the with the mercedes battle so the very first guy of the leaders to pit is lewis hamilton so they send him in early to try to get the undercut on ocon and signs and um uh leclerc and they're trying to find a way to just you know try something new over there at Mercedes. They, they have, you can't
1: pass. So you have no, to use an undercut to get got to ahead try, of people. Exactly.
0: You've got to try to find one of those ways to kind of catch somebody on maybe a slow stop or something like that. And obviously, Russell, who started further back, was also on the hard tire. So Mercedes already intended for him to go long, right? Mm-hmm. So they get M- M- McLaren, or pardon me, they get Lewis in in the Mercedes. He comes out, and he's not in terrible position. He's probably, a, I think, a position behind where they had hoped he'd get out, right? Because he's still stuck behind Ocon but he comes out or whatever. And right away, Ferrari's starting to recognize that we got to think about covering off this undercut. And that's, Mm. you know, we're we're getting radio calls that started to sound a lot like 2022. We started getting these confusing messages from Ferrari where it's like every time Ferrari gets themselves into a situation where the race hasn't gone quite how they originally mapped out, it's like they flip to the second page of the race plan and they realize it's blank and they go, oh shit, we didn't didn't plan for this. We didn't plan for anything other than you know, exactly what the first scenario was. And of course they go, well, what are we going to do? Like plan E plan G we're going to pull up plan W at this point. And they started to panic a little bit. And that was, what was interesting before the rain came, because it was like, how's this going to play out? These guys are, these guys thought they were going to be competing for a podium and they're clearly not right.
1: They thought this race was going to be their comeback. Yeah. Like, and to start with, you had Leclerc finished third in qualifying. He took a grid penalty three places um, because he slowed down. I want to say it was uh, Norris, Lando Norris, that he slowed down on one of the fast laps, um, which you can't do. Everyone knows that. So we all knew he was going to get a grid penalty as soon as they showed it on TV. Um, That's devastating at this track to lose three grid places. Leclerc essentially, because of that mistake, went from the podium that he would have got, essentially. I mean, you have to think that the race would have, because he started sixth, he finished sixth. So, you have to think that if he started third, he would have finished third. Um, And then signs, this is signs' worst Monaco race in five years. Yeah. Like they came here with super high expectations and they left with a a horrible weekend in their eyes. They cannot be happy about what they've done at this point in this season, especially um, after the weekend that they just had when they thought they'd come in. I think they've only got one podium in six races.
0: Yeah, it it yeah, exactly. Ferraris really look like they've taken a step back as opposed to forward, which is yeah, you know what I mean? Like it 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 felt like last year they were setting themselves up for another, I don't know, like which another makes
1: last year hurt so much more because they had the car last year. They had the car to compete with Verstappen last year and Red Bull, and this year Red Bull's taking that step forward, and it looks like Ferrari's taking a step back. So that's gonna make things more frustrating for them. Um, they're not making as many mistakes with their strategy, but they just don't have the car to get it done right now.
0: Yeah. So that brings us to about lap 52, 55, somewhere in that kind of range where the rain arrived, right? So obviously, as we've talked about it many times in the show, these guys have like NASA grade radar, they're all tracking yeah. every little raindrop as it comes over the French Alps and into the Monaco sort of peninsula area. And the minute they, we start getting the like, Oh, rain's coming. I think the first one on the radio we heard was like George Russell. Oh, it's spitting, but it starts at the top. Right. So like mm-hmm. two corners of the track are actually seeing rain three quarters of the track still dry. So yeah. you're in that awkward phase as a driver and also as a strategist where you're like, I don't want to be the first one to pull the trigger, but I don't want to be the last guy. I got to yeah. be careful. Cause if I get my guy stuck out there and it was really interesting because there were sort of two different, well, there were three, I would argue, three different races happening. Everybody at the back very quickly was like, let's get on something, right? A lot of inters went out there. And that was kind of where we saw another one of those pit stops from Perez. Like he guinea pigged both the inter and the wet for Red Bull. They yeah. sent him out for both just to see what the times were because they knew his race is over. Screw this yeah. guy. He's, he can be the test case. We saw those guys changing. And then you start getting the radio, the frantic radio calls from Max, which are always hilarious because he plays off as such a cool customer. But then the minute there's a little bit of adversity, you can just hear the panic in his voice. And he's like, yeah. guys, it's getting really slippery out here. And to be fair, he's on like the worst tires because he's on the oldest set of mediums still out there. Yeah. He's trying to hold off Alonzo. And at that moment, I thought this is Alonzo's now. Like he has got himself. I thought he so finds too. this perfectly. And then Aston Martin, I think... Their strategist was kidnapped and replaced by a member of Ferrari's strategic team. Was, what on God's green earth possessed them to think they could send him back out there on slicks? Because Alonso came in. Everybody else who's pitted is on inters yeah. and is still struggling. And Alonso's like, "Nah, screw it. Give me the give me the slipperiest tires you possibly have, and we'll see how this goes."
1: That loss, like that moment right there, that was the end of his 100%. any of his chances of winning. Um, it was shocking. Actually, it was very shocking to see, um, it, like for such a team that, let's put Lance Stroll aside for a second, but for a team that's been almost perfect with Alonso, with what that's a had, yeah. massive mistake yeah. for when you actually have a little bit of pressure on you because you're not third right now. You're which you've been pretty much all season. Right now, you are fighting for first. Yeah. Um, and Verstappen is already not going to make a mistake. He's pretty. He's going to be pretty clean and clear. You have to you cannot make any mistakes not
0: no any and mistakes you, and you say he's not going to make a mistake but you also have to you have to strategically be playing the game of if he does we have to be ready to pounce and they weren't even ready yeah. for that you know what i mean like he did hit a wall he did make a mistake it just wasn't a big enough mistake given the gap that they had offered him with this ridiculous Call he's out there for an entire lap on slicks while everybody else has changed. The only other guy on slicks was Magnuson, and you know, it's yeah. like Haas that didn't work out well for him, just does really, really dumb things too. But I expect that from Haas, I don't expect that from the way Alpine has been, as you say, they've been so good. And then it plays perfectly into Max's hand, they just have to give him the inners and say, just tiptoe a little bit around Maribo, and you'll be fine, and you're good to go, you know what I yeah. mean? So, and it was crazy. And
1: at that time too, Verstappen on those tires. I think there was one lap where he, I think this was one lap. That he, he said, I hit the wall three times in that lap. Yeah, so like things were going like it was there to be like a problematic and very exciting finish um, for Alonso, and that we all got we all kind of got robbed because of that. Yeah, um, which well, is unfortunate. You know
0: because sorry, go ahead.
1: No, I was just saying like the other thing about about rain. So some of the times on here, I talk about how I hate that a red car, a red car restart is the most exciting thing about F one sometimes. People have been saying that about the rain. Like the rain shouldn't make a race exciting. I completely disagree with that statement. Um, I think rain is actually just a, a a factor that you have to deal with as in terms of weather that there's not like someone made a boneheaded decision. It's like this is a part of the race, is the weather. Yeah. And the, and the weather affects the the track. It's, uh, it's the, the same as football,
0: like, right? Think about yeah. the difference between like baseball or soccer and football. Football, they will play in six inches or snow. The only time they don't Mm -hmm. is if it's literally like life threatening. Yeah. Right. And the, and like, think last year when, when, you know, you're the, the home Detroit lions had to host, I think a Buffalo game, because literally it was unsafe for people to be out in the streets in Buffalo. Yeah. But that is the only, that's the like that's the only situation in which they, they call it off. We've seen football games played where you can't see the lar- line markers, can't see the what down it is. You can't see if your own players are further down the field. We've had guys playing in like mud where you can't see the numbers on the jersey, like all kinds of stuff. That's part of the game. It's part of the culture of what that sport is. Half the half the teams in the NFL play what most of their games after September in climates where it's like sub zero. That's just yeah. the reality of it. F one is one of those sports where you are going to drive a race car in certain circumstances and i would also argue that in recent years we have seen a much more like heavy push towards calling races or or postponing races because of rain if you remember a couple years ago i think monaco was slowed down or delayed for like almost two hours we obviously had that debacle in spa where george russell almost won a race or did win a race because he was like they left out the, the all of the they they, just, they didn't want to finish the race. They sent them out with like one, one additional two lap to call yeah. a two-lap race or whatever, which is ridiculous. Yeah. But those are the extreme circumstances. Most of the time, you're right. It's a factor. And I do think it makes it entertaining. I do think it's exciting. I think that there's nothing wrong with that. It's part of the way. Like you and I, and we should get merch made with this, but it's like there, our, our go-to thing is like, is a race high event or not? It doesn't, mm. like that for me is the biggest factor in whether I find it entertaining. I don't need my driver to win every race. He's not going to, I don't need, you know, all of these, these collisions or all of these things, but I like a race that has lots of drama in it has teams making mistakes, has guys making mistakes and going off or, or losing a position or they, you know, the lug nut gets stuck and all of a sudden the order gets changed. Like those high event or, or just tons of overtakes, risky moves, lots of stuff like that. Love that. That's a high event race. That's entertaining. I have nothing wrong with that. Rain's part of that. I totally agree.
1: Yeah, it's and it's like yeah, it's completely different than a a crash of somebody like Latifi at the back that affects the drivers in the front. You five. Had to bring that this you is had an to event bring that, that up. I know you had to this, bring is, that up. this is an event that everybody has to deal with and they have to have their strategy plan based on when they want to deal with it. Like when Haas and Magnussen wanted to change to intermediates, when um Aston Martin decided that they weren't going to go to intermediates, like these strategies come into play with teams that everyone's dealing with the same kind of circumstance of weather and not just like, uh, that guy at the back crashed. So now we all have to come back and restart a race. Essentially. It was, I don't know for that. It was cause if any, if anybody watched the Indy 500 this weekend, there was three red flags in the last 15 laps, I think. Yeah. Which was like, I don't know anything about the drivers in there, but you saw some of the guys like Grosjean was in it. It's like, Oh my goodness. They restart the race and then first turn another red card.
0: So yeah. I was gonna I was gonna pull a running down the clock there and call a timeout because I wanted to talk for just a split second about the Indy 500. So I apologize to our diehard <laughs> stop like a Formula One fans so who like Indy cars for Americans. Yeah, screw you. It's open wheel racing, and it was yeah. exciting this weekend. Indy 500 is one of the biggest races in the world. The fact that it's double stacked with Monaco on the same weekend—that's really No, nah, Of course, I get it. It's it's Memorial Day. It's always that week. It just worked out really nicely. Yeah. I caught the end of that race too. That that you brought up Latifi that red flag at the end for me equally controversial because it's like oh, yeah. two laps to go new gardens in second Marcus Erickson, who's led for like 30 laps is sitting there being like, I'm a sitting duck. All of a yeah. sudden you've put me in this horrible position that, that, that type of race is all about the draft. It's all yep. about being able to follow the guy. in that's where you want to be on a restart yeah. is number two. You don't want to be number one. And, yep. new, new and number two ended up winning. coming winning erickson did you was ahead the whole you watch
1: time it? To end up when he, yeah i did i watched the last like the last 15 or How, i ended up being like t- two hours but was there anything the more
0: hours. american though than him going through the fence ah, climbing goodness, into the yeah, stands I, 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 which well, he, he went through the fence i was like i know the do you where get you the fence go like that did i know wire cutters yeah It was, yeah, it was very very anyway, odd time out time out over let's see. get back to let's get back to pit stuff for a second or to formula one for a second here we're back in the rain. Alonzo makes the boneheaded mistake. And actually I wanted to point, I wanted to just add one thing to that. Apparently that was Alonzo's call. Apparently on the radio, he said, it's dry enough. I want to be on slicks. And they called, he, they went with the veteran move. So you, they, you can make two decisions there. One, Alpine should have, or uh, Aston Martin should have said, sure. no, fuck you. Let's go with the right yeah. tires. <laughs> and they didn't. They deferred to their veteran. And two, yeah, he kind of – he didn't know what he was talking about. Sometimes the drivers need to trust the guys who are on the wall looking at everything else. If it's raining in the pit lane, you know it's wet. <laughs> it, and it was wet. Like they yeah, talked yeah, about it switching to wets.
1: Like it was – there was turns it, where I was like, holy on shit, the how hairpin, can I see anything? On
0: the hairpin, there was literally foam on the street yeah. from where like the grease and everything was mixing with the water. It was like, uh, like driving on soap suds. It was yeah. insane. It was so, proper wet. They weren't the only team though, to get it wrong. And it won't take you two guesses to guess who also got it wrong. Ferrari had to double stack because yeah, they didn't that. time it very well, very well. They didn't time it at all. It was again, yeah. just one of those like, all right, uh, by the way, guys, we're going to bring you into the pits and we're going to flush the rest of this chance of winning out of this, uh, uh, away from here. I, we're going to bring up this again when we get to the radio call race, because it ended up being very funny, but like Ferrari, man, it's like, please don't, please don't go back to this. We don't need more of this. Like, I guess this is just part of the Ferrari DNA right now. So you just do dumb things. I'd like, I like to just think that this
1: was just a frustrating weekend for them, and that's why they're making mistakes decision-wise. Like If this happens again, then I, we just can't keep talking about Ferrari's decision-making after they've changed everybody there.
0: Yeah, exactly exactly it's it's brutal it's just absolutely insane and of course the guy who's still making their strategic decisions is going to go to alpha tori next year so i'm sure they're sitting there going oh great we made a brilliant decision in bringing yeah. in some <laughs> Prince it's a team principal my god and it's like can like can charles leclerc get any less lucky i mean monaco born monaco driver never won never no. on pole every chance he's close something gets in the way he drove fine but again his team just like no, never has a way to help him out and last year it was the really late radio call that screwed his pit stop and killed his race and this one they had to double stack and in the rain and just made a mess of the whole thing anyway let's talk about some of the other teams and drivers out there there were obviously lots of different storylines to be had uh one of the fun ones was obviously is alpine and Ocon, who finds himself yeah. on the podium fantastic weekend for Ocon. he put it together, held off Lewis for a good chunk. Now, obviously this isn't an easy track to overtake. We can't stress that enough. In fact, the only DRS zone is literally so narrow you can't overtake in it. There's a couple turns and we saw a couple very ambitious and a couple good overtakes, but Lewis just was never really going to be in a position to to take him. And it was reminiscent a little bit of what Alonzo did to... Lewis last year in the Alpine where he just made that car really wide and was like, we're just holding this position. The difference here was yeah. Ocon was also holding on to third place and talk about a team that got everything right when they needed to for the pit stops and the rain and all yeah. of those things and kept him in a position to make sure he was there. I mean, he was one mistake by max or one mistake from Alonzo from being a pyre on that podium it was fantastic.
1: Yeah. And he actually got hit by signs at one point too. signs hit him yeah. from behind. So like it. it just, they, they, at, was almost a perfect weekend for Alpine this weekend, and and again, you got to remember that the only reason he was third qualifying was because Leclerc. I mean, don't get me wrong, fourth qualifying was amazing for him, but it's because Leclerc got a three grid penalty that he got yeah. to go to third and like put him on the podium. Yeah.
0: yeah, it's huge. Again, the bad luck and misfortune of Charles Leclerc. You could yeah, write a novel I mean, on it. It's also
1: got to be tough, like in Monaco, with yeah. everyone talking about the speculation of Lewis Hamilton going to Ferrari next year. Like, yeah, exactly. so i have
0: i have a a question i don't know if you did you catch the moment where crofty confused the two alpine drivers though they were on board with gasly who was chasing i guess it would have been perez or maybe he had just been lapped by max but anyway there was a red bull right in front of him and it completely broke crofty and i think even even um what's his name, Martin Brundle, who's doing like the color commentary, it broke both their brains. They couldn't figure out, how is Ocon following a Red Bull right now? And they're looking at all the timing charts, and I'm screaming at the TV, that's Gasly. Like, you <laughs> idiots, you're looking at the wrong car. But it was hilarious. I thought you would have seen that one for sure. Just been like, uh, really? I did, a lot, of, I, I, I did a lot of He's... talking. I was watching this
1: race with my brother-in-law, so I, I was talking throughout the whole thing, I think. Nice. <laughs> but I'm going to go back to look for that.
0: Yeah, that one's that one's a good one for sure. That we don't have like the play-by-play call of the race, but that would probably be up there for me. That one and the other one where, they, where where Martin Brundle goes, you know, it will be a little bit more difficult difficult for them here when it starts raining, and T- and Crofty goes, yeah, probably. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> like obviously, it yeah, there's will be a, reason a bit why more I... difficult in the rain. Yeah, you're right.
1: There's a reason why sports movies always have the announcers like saying stupid things all yeah. the time because it happens. Yeah. All the time.
0: Yeah, it was pretty good. Pretty good. All right. Uh, any final thoughts before we jump into our uh, uh, our, our our race awards? Um,
1: the only thing is Monaco was better than what we thought. I didn't think this was going to be a good race. The rain made it entertaining. Um, it would have been more entertaining if Aston Martin didn't make the mistake they did. But um, qualifying Saturday, overall pretty good weekend for Monaco. It helps them keep the race that everyone's talking about.
0: Yeah. So, okay, was- I'm giving you a vote. Are you voting to keep Monaco or are you in the camp of like, you'd be okay losing it in lieu of some, I don't know, race in Arizona or somewhere new?
1: I wouldn't say in Arizona, but yeah, I would say I honestly, I'm, I get pretty bored of Monaco. It's very cool to see the city and all the yachts and all the fanfare and all that stuff. But I, I care more about the racing and there's just, it's so thin. You can't pass anybody. It's without qualifying. What is what makes it exciting?
0: For me, I, I feel like I'm still in the camp of, I think it's worth keeping at the current way in which the season is structured. We have enough other races. It's 23 yeah, freaking exactly. races. I don't mind a race. That's a, a completely different kind of thing. Uh, I kind of like, to be honest with you, I kind of like it. Cause it does feel a little bit like a weekend. Like a, it's like a gala weekend. It's like one of those That's weekends exactly. where like, you know, there's going to be a couple of teams who have the pace to actually have a race on Saturday. It's called qualifying. And then the rest of it is just, let's roll the dice. Literally it's Monaco and see what happens. And yeah. in this case, I think we got a pretty good one. You know, like I was entertained. I didn't feel like it yeah. was a waste of my time. I, the race ended and I thought, yeah, this is entertaining. It had me at the edge of my seat for moments and I was able to sit back and just watch other moments of it. I didn't have a problem with it. I think it's like other sports could look for opportunities to showcase their drivers in a way that these guys do at this race. If you had 23 races, why not throw a couple of these in there? We know there's always going to be one or two weird races. This is one yeah. of the, this is one of those. I have no problem with it personally. And I think that the drivers really do care about it. Cause I think there's still a mystique and a prestige, About the idea of it, because it's such a historic race. I think it mattered more in the past, just because it was these cars are so big and they're so long. You used to be able to do more at Monaco in the old days. days. I still think it matters. I don't know. It is the Met Gala.
1: It is the Met Gala of yeah of racing, which is fine. Again, you're right. Like we know there's going to be three or four duds dud races each year. Um, it's just easier to pinpoint this one at every schedule, which is fine. Again, like watching the city and all that stuff in qualifying. Uh, I'm happy to have it back next year.
0: Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, we're going to leave Monaco alone for a moment. Let's hand out some race awards. Our driver of the day, I believe the vote for the driver of the day from the fans was Alonzo. Fair enough. I think that's a fair, you know, I always feel like driver of the day is not really a fair award if it's fan voted because it's like, how many of you watched qualifying? How many of you actually like, you know what I mean? I get that. It's a popularity contest and that's okay. Our driver of the day though is going to third place and Ocon who I would argue had the best race of his year, obviously gets himself a podium, but he, but as we said, did everything right. You know what I mean? He, 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 he put it exactly where he needed to put it. He kept it on the road. He made sure that the team worked. So our driver of the day goes to Esteban Ocon for Alpine, not so driver of the day. This one, we had a bit, we have, we have two. I think we're fighting on this one. Yeah, we have, we have two uh, potential. So we'll see who, who wins on this one, but you go first. Who's your not so driver of the day?
1: My not-so-driver-of-the-day goes to Sergio Perez. Can't have that weekend in that car and not get not-so-driver-of-the-day. You just can't do it. I'm sorry.
0: Yeah, he definitely opened the door for his chief rival to completely run away with every possible point against him because there was no points to be had for Perez. Pretty brutal weekend for him. Pretty brutal weekend.
1: Awful. Like He went to hard tire after one lap. Um, which was too, I mean, I get why they did it, but still you're not, you don't pass people here. So I like, just see how the race goes. Tried to pass Lance stroll off the track, lost a place doing that. And then had to pit five, five more times. Like you can't finish 16th in that car. You just can't do it.
0: All right. So I'm going to go with a slightly different one and I'm going to preface it by saying I am never afraid to admit when I'm wrong. And I have made some bold takes in my life and some bold predictions. I had to admit yesterday on hat-trick that I was very wrong when after the first round and that huge hit on Joe Pavelski, I was unsure I'd ever see him play good hockey again. And of course, in his first game back, he'd scored four goals and he's helped Dallas all the way through. They lost tonight in game six, but Joe Pavelski certainly his career is nowhere near done. Although that was a very bold take by me. Maybe it should be. And if I was a neurosurgeon, I might be encouraging him (laughs) to watch the brain injuries, but I admitted I was wrong and I will admit I was wrong again at our season preview I suggested that Logan Sargent might be rookie of the year. I am very, very confident in saying, I don't think so. He has had a very difficult start to the season. He is really struggling to figure out how to get this car to do anything, frankly. And he was the recipient of a very uh, dubious record. He was passed three times on the same lap for the first time ever of any driver at Monaco. No driver at Monaco has been overtaken now, sure, drivers have not finished or they've crashed, or whatever, and drive.
1: Yeah, or in the pit lane or whatever.
0: He finished the lap, but he finished it three positions back from where he'd started that lap, and that's never been done at Monaco, and it's quite embarrassing. No, and it was ugly. It it was ugly. So I'm going to uh, I'm going to nominate Logan Sargent and just say this: like he's gonna to have to. Was that when it, it was
1: raining? That was when that was when he had before. the intermediates on, right? It was no. before,
0: dude. It was on like lap like eighteen.
1: I was just going to defend him and be like maybe he just doesn't drive in the rain very well but that's horrendous. He might not be in a car next year.
0: Yeah. It was it was really bad um and definitely one of those one of those situations where you're just like this doesn't feel like uh, it's going to end well for this driver. But then again, we watched Nicholas Latifi drive for like 4 years. Lance Stroll still has a car under him. N- Yuki is still out there. So sometimes, yeah. you know, these teams Give these guys really long leashes. I just don't know how at Williams you can be looking at that and going, this is the guy of our future. Yeah. No Brutal. Brutal. Um, He'll they probably sell a lot of them so and stuff. So are we just calling it a toss-up or or what are we thinking here? We can't – are we splitting it in half? Yeah, we can do that. All right. We'll split it in half. Our not-so-drivers of the day. I, I would argue Perez is the not-so-driver of the weekend. <laughs> Okay, you to- <laughs> Sergeant just had a bad day, so maybe it's got to yeah. be Perez because that's the whole weekend. It was just miserable.
1: Arguably, your sat your whole weekend starts and ends on Saturday in Monaco.
0: Yeah. All right, let's jump to our radio call of the race. Uh, this one goes to Carlos Sainz. who had uh, this is one of those where it's like karma bit him so fast. for the hubris of this call. So he came on the radio after their pit stop and he was angry about when they'd made the the first one. I'm not talking about the one during the rain, the first pit stop. He was angry because obviously they had put him in a position where he was behind, I think two places from where he'd been before. And he thought they should have waited longer and, and been competing with where Ocon was going to do his pit stop. Obviously Ferrari was looking at the Mercedes and recognizing they've already tried to undercut us. We have to try to cut this off. and, uh, signs came on the radio and said, I think that was the wrong call. They came back and said, I know we're looking at Lewis. We're worried about where he was. And signs responded. I don't care about Hamilton. I want to win. Yeah. I want to win. <laughs> I know what race do you think you're driving Carlos? You're not only are you not going to win right now, you're not even going to get the podium and you should want hundred percent be worried about Lewis Hamilton because as soon as the rain came and you guys double stacked, both Mercedes drive right past you. Yep. And all of a sudden, all of those available points off the table, completely gone. He needs to learn who he's racing. Well, and that's, that's the reality of Monaco.
1: And that's something that these guys are usually pretty good with too. Like, like And the, and even the, the race directors and the guys they talk to, they say like, hey, like your race isn't against him. Let him go by you. Our race is against Gasly. Our race is against Ocon. Like our race yeah. is against Piastri. Like, it's they're usually pretty good about being like that for him to say that it, this race at this race specifically, even to make it worse. Like, who yeah. do you think you're, you're aren't passing all these guys to get up there in a car yeah. that's not great right now?
0: Yeah, I agree. That was, that that one was rough. Uh, <laughs> all right. Our overtake of the day. And I've already teased this one. I'm going to give it to Kevin Magnuson for his overtake on Logan Sargent. Not only because it was a great overtake, he, he made it at the Mirabelle corner, which is, um, mirabeau corner which is tricky it's a it ended up being an interesting place where a few different drivers found that they were able to to make the, the move work if they underbraked on the inside line but so he does it first and in the moment it was like whoa what a bold move and then two turns later we have sergeant passed i believe by uh Zhao. and then i think he was also passed by it might have been Bottas. but three overtakes on the same corner all because Kevin Magnuson sort of like uncorked the bottle and started yeah. this literally like a train of guys overtaking Logan Sargent. And you just got to be thinking in there, Logan Sargent's going, what what, what is, what is this? <laughs> I thought they told right me now? that Monaco <laughs> was going to be like, I thought I was good. I thought this position was mine. He didn't, even, he didn't defend at all. He didn't do anything. It was embarrassing. So it's like, it's like a reverse overtake, but for me, it starts with Kevin Magnuson. He made the first move. He gets the credit for the first move and, and, you know, he, he also was the guy out there along with Alonzo thinking he could stay on those slick tires. So yeah. this was the, this was definitely the highlight of the, of the night for him. Cause it all goes yeah. downhill. Didn't even finish that. the
1: race. No. Didn't even finish the race. Sergeant actually finished ahead
0: of him. 18th. Yeah. Well, 18 after two guys didn't I, finish. Two DNFs, but yeah, yeah. Thank you. That's, thank you. Yes. What... <laughs> he's still on his feet. You got to finish, right?
1: You got to finish as part of the race.
0: All right, final thoughts on Monaco before we leave it alone?
1: Um, no, a fun weekend for Monaco. This is a better weekend for Monaco. Monaco should be happy. People who like Monaco should be happy, and it shuts everybody up who doesn't like it for another year.
0: Okay, I had one more thought or one more thing to just mention, and I wonder if you, if you felt the difference this year. This was apparently the very first time in, like, the last 40 years that the broadcasters actually were able to bring in their own directors and cut this like live for TV. So there's three, I think official broadcasters sky obviously does most of the English speaking world. I think there's also a either Japanese or there's, there's some, there's some Asian um, broadcasting company that does it for a lot of those markets. Anyway, the point was this has usually been held by like the, the rights to this race have been held by like a local broadcast company that does all of the directing of it. And then they just feed um, all of the different um, distributors or different um, yeah uh, syndicates. And, if you remember last year on Sky, there was an incident where we were watching like the leaders in a position where like there was going to be a, there's about to be like a huge overtake or like a really competitive moment there. And they just cut to a replay of Lance Stroll spinning completely out yeah. like in like 17th place. And you could hear like the exasperation in David Crofty being like, why are we watching <laughs> this replay? No one cares. And it was just like, it was so embarrassing. And so clearly this year they got their stuff together. I will say though, when the rain started, they had no idea where to go. There was they had no they were, idea where to over go. Here. Like the, Crofty was confused. When did this guy spin? Wait, he spent They're watching yeah. replays of stuff. They didn't even know what happened. There's yellow flags popping up everywhere on the. Sun. It led that to
1: it led funny. to good. Like honestly, it the confusion with them led to more confusion and excitement at home. Being like, what is what is happening right now? Yeah, for sure. Like what is going on? Where is everybody? What's going on? Um, and I just know that they mentioned the sky camera on the, um the helicopter camera being here for oh, yeah. the first time ever, I like, would yeah. not shut up about it. And it's like, okay, yeah. we get it. Don't every time they cut to that fucking thing it's like, oh, this is the first time we've had the helicopter camera. I'm like, Oh my God. I know you said this every lap. Every lap you've told us this.
0: But without the sky camera, we would not have seen the red Ferrari on the the deck of that yacht. Did you see that?
1: I did. That was awesome. I, re- if there is I ever it. a
0: more like Monaco moment than I that. Know. Literally the biggest flex possible. Here's my super yacht. Oh, and my car that's been yeah. put here by one of those freaking you know things they were pulling out the the crashed yeah, Mercedes the, and Red Bull with. They've just hoisted the this cranes. onto my yacht, and I can just sit here it's in it and enjoy the race that was rains. cool
1: I, I did like that a lot i was like wow, oh, that's, that's the beauty about monaco and why you watch that race yeah
0: all right uh that is monaco we'll leave it there
2: creativity has the power to take our breath away to move us to action or reaction to invite us to feel more fully alive and when the creativity is coming out of the kitchen of a local restaurant the experience has the power to do all of the above and put a smile on your face. Q Burger in Qualicum Beach on Vancouver Island is home to culinary creativity led by owners Aaron and Kevin. Together they have managed to make a local burger joint a must stop on any trip up the central coast of the island. In fact, readers of Canadian Living Magazine recently voted it one of the top five burger restaurants in Canada. And if you're saying, yeah, but a burger joint's a burger joint, Then let me ask you, what other burger joint allows you to choose between a boomageddon, all caps, with double the beef, double the bacon, and double the cheese, and Wicked Sticky, where the roasted chicken breast is topped with balsamic reduction, roasted garlic, and fried brie, or the new Sonic Pickle Boomerito, yep, with an exclamation point. And if meat is not your treat, Consider a Brock of Ages, the Thai Tuna Tornado Wrap, or halibut and chips caught fresh from the ocean 10 minutes down the street that morning. The fish, not the chips. Put it on your bucket list. Q Burger, locally owned and operated in Qualicum Beach, B.C.
0: All right, you know what time it is, Tyler you it's time for mail okay this one is a topical so i said we were leaving monaco alone but technically this is still kind of monaco adjacent because it's a it's a question we've been sitting on this was asked i think this was submitted back at like the beginning of the year but i was like there's only one race we can ask this question during so we've we've saved it for you so we appreciate your patience lucas uh this question coming from lucas so our mailbox box box question is why do so many formula one drivers live in monaco do you want to take this one tyler
1: Uh, Yeah, so there's a variety of reasons you could say it's like, oh, it's beautiful there. Um, It's always very warm there. But when you boil it down to two things, it is essentially central location for where everybody else is from, um, their homes, outside of their homes, uh, central location to a lot of the European tracks. More importantly, uh, there is no taxes in Monaco. And that is a huge thing for athletes. It's a huge thing for everybody. Uh, that's basically why you'd want to live in Monaco as a race car driver. The central aspect of it and the fact that there's no taxes there.
0: It's also the reason why I have a hard time believing that Monaco is going to be leaving our schedule anytime soon. Yes, I 100% agree. The drivers, it's their home race. It's like they all can go home and sleep in their own apartments that night. As of, I think,
1: March 3rd, 2023, so not too long ago, Verstappen, Leclerc, Norris Perez, Bottas, Albon, Nick DeVries, Nico Hulkenberg, Lewis Hamilton all live in Monaco with lots of rumors that George Russell is looking for a home in that very same place.
0: And again, this isn't new either. Like, go back historically, and there's all kinds of stories about all of these drivers. We know the story, like Art and Senna crashed out of a race and literally was so distraught. Instead of going back to the pits, he walked home. Like yeah. just in his full race kit, just walked down the streets of Monaco, got to his apartment, sat there and, you know, stewed. There's the very famous one, too, where Kimi Raikkonen went out. I think it was like in 2006 or something. He crashes out. I think he's in a Lotus he crashes out. And instead of going back to the pits, he literally walks down the pier and sits on his yacht, which is yeah. sitting there in the Harbor. And he's just sitting there having a beer watching the rest of the race. He was in 20 minutes ago, like pretty, yeah you're not going to see the, those kind of anywhere else, right? Monaco is special for that reason. It's one of those things. It's kind of tradition. They like to live there. As you say, it's central to not only all their other races, but like it's central to most of Europe. So it's convenient regardless of where your team's like headquarters are, right? Cause some teams yeah, are headquartered right. in, in the UK, some are headquartered in Italy and whatever. So it's very convenient and it's very pretty. And as you say, it's a tax haven. All right. Um, Tyler. This is not a tax haven, and I've been to Barcelona. It's a very expensive city, but it's a very beautiful city. And that is where we will be this upcoming weekend, June 2nd through 4th, Barcelona.
1: Spanish Grand Prix. First time racing uh, at this track was in 1991. It is 66 laps. Daniel Ricciardo holds the record at 118-something-something. Something. Uh, drivers love this circuit, uh, barcelona catalonia a lot a lot of that is because winter testing is done here so they spend a lot of time on this track. Um good mix of high and low speed corners. Last year in this race it was a two stopper I believe. There was two stops um per driver, especially the winners, the podium people. Um turn 3 is you're very you're going to find out a lot about these new cars, so Mercedes, McLaren, Ferrari that have done upgrades. Uh turn 3 is going to have a lot of balancing um situations during The first free practices to figure out your car. Now, going back to last year's race, front row Leclerc versus Verstappen, turn four here was causing a lot of problems. Um, Signs was in the gravel on lap seven, Verstappen in the gravel lap nine. Um, George Russell was in first place for a lot of this race. Um, Him and Verstappen were having a great battle until those, some of those errors by Verstappen. Leclerc, well ahead of everybody lost power on lap 27 that is what put russell into first um halfway through the race perez passes russell and then his team orders max to pass him on lap 49 now that being said max was the faster car and would have passed him anyways but there was a radio order to perez saying let max pass on the next lap perez was not happy about it but it was either do it or he's going to do it anyways um, our podium was Verstappen-Perez and George Russell, two DNFs, Zhao and Leclerc. Um, the surprise on this day was uh, Botas, sixth place.
0: Yeah, as you said, this is a, a very beloved track from the driver's perspective. They know it well. And it's also going to be a really exciting opportunity for us to properly see what these upgrades Uh, have in store for us because this is a perfect track. This is why it's chosen for, for testing. It's got high speed corners. It's got slow speed corners. It's got some good DRS zones. It's got all of the kind of a a lovely mix of all of the best parts of a traditional circuit. So we'll, we'll get a pretty good sense of whether or not Mercedes really feels like the, the upgrades are working we'll know from the mclarens and to be fair we didn't even talk about mclaren but mclaren had their best weekend of the year yes it, great like weekend it, it was working for them it, obviously it's monaco so it is what it is but it, it was working so it'll be yeah. interesting to see if they improve and obviously if ferrari really will get a sense of where they're at with everything so it, it, it should be it's it i don't I, I always like to temper expectations but it should be a very very entertaining and high event race and sure. weekend because we will get a, a lot of variety through final through all the practices uh, in terms of teams trying to, as you say, hook it up and see what the balance is going to look like and try some new things. They might even bring some things to the car that they're not going to race, but they're going to try out. Cause it's a perfect circuit for it. I'm really excited about it. I think it should be a lot of fun and barring some, again, unforeseen uh, event from mother nature. It'll be nice to have back-to-back racing.
1: Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, what was the one thing I was going to say? Oh, the thought I had about this race and this track specifically is it would be very cool if they had the old format sprint race this weekend. It's not this weekend, but this
0: would be a great track for it. Yeah, this would be a good track for it. It's It's a fun run for that. All right. Well, there we are, Tyler. Well done. That is our little show for this week. If you would like to submit a question to our mailbox box box segment, you can do that by either direct messaging us on Instagram or by sending us an email at pitstoppod at com, And until next week, thank you for listening. And uh, keep it on the road. Have you ever said that before? Nope. (laughs) 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 I don't know. You know what? The first thing that came to my mind was red green. Keep it on the road. Stick on the ice. Uh, Red green
1: (laughs) is a, that's a old reference
0: the deep canadian cut yeah pit Stop podcast is a presentation of the ordinary podcasting network thanks for listening